Welcome to the Running Explained podcast. I'm your host, Elizabeth. I'm a marathoner, coach, and answer seeker. When I first started running at the age of 29, I had so many questions and what felt like nowhere to turn to for answers. And now I'm here to answer all your running questions about anything that you might want to know. If you're a new runner or you've been doing this for a long time, there's always something more to learn about running. So let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the final episode of the year of the Running Explained podcast. It is a little weird, a little surreal, a little wild that I'm recording this episode now at the end of the third season, almost 150 episodes in. (laughs) For those of you who've been with me since the very beginning, you will know that this podcast started as a series of Instagram lives that I did from my office floor. on Wednesdays from 12 to 1 p.m. And then I thought, why am I doing this as an Instagram Live? This is so obviously a podcast. And now here we are, which is absolutely wild. And I think is is now kind of become tradition, as in I did it last year and I'm gonna do it again this year too. I would like to end the year with a a wrap-up episode talking about the things that I learned, stuff that I learned this year. Now, a lot of it's going to be like, I didn't know that before. This is super cool. Hey guys, remember when we learned this fact from my guest on this episode? But we're also going to learn, I'm going to think about, talk about some other things that are more like what I learned, grew about, um, had realizations about those more intangible life slash running lessons, if you will. What did we learn this year? So um, there's, like I said, in the intro to this podcast, there's always more to learn. Some of it is factual, factual, factual is not a word, factual, tangible. Hey, there is a thing that I learned and now I know this thing. Now I know this fact. I learned that this thing about mitochondria or that thing about traveling for races. But there's also the, I learned this thing about myself. I learned this thing about who I am and what it means in the context of myself as a person. Um, So all of those things, there's always more to learn. So what did I learn this year? The very first thing I want to talk about that I learned, and this is, we are going to start off in a life lesson note. those of you who've listened have known that I've been struggling with or have dealt with for a couple years now coming back from relative energy deficiency syndrome, relative energy deficiency in sport or REDS caused by chronic restriction of carbohydrate, um, which if you followed me way back when, you know that I was like a hardcore low carb. <laughs> Guys, I'm so sorry. Mea culpa caused real issues for me. Anyways, I've been very in a very dedicated way returning from digging myself into that hole. And I think the biggest realization in a very concrete way is that when we do things to our bodies that it doesn't like, it can take a lot longer than we want in order to fix the thing. And this can be like, hey, I dug myself into a hole. It's going to take a lot longer to climb out than I want it to. But I think this is also a really good reflection on just how long it takes sometimes for us to will certain, I want to say results or ways of being into existence. Now, obviously it's a lot more fun to feel like you are chasing a new performance or, you know, high, a new peak rather than simply trying to return to where, from whence you came, right? 
Um, and the road can feel a lot harder if you're simply trying to return to baseline rather than being really excited about like, yeah, I'm doing this thing that I've never really done before and I've never been able to run this fast or run this far or whatever it is. So there is that kind of perspective shift that one can feel like it, it feels like it takes a lot longer than the other, you know, but somebody asked me recently about coming back from having reds and, you know, I would say that this fall to be 100% honest with you, this like late summer into the fall and all my blood work is now showing it that this it's probably taken me a solid 18 months to climb out of the hole, which is a lot longer than I think people want to hear or think about when they think, hey, I kind of dug myself into this hole. How long do you think it's going to do? Do you think it'll be like I'll be okay in a month or two or like a couple months? Um, and I think this is, like I said, a, a really good just reflection on how long some of these things take sometimes, you know, especially when we are also trying to achieve other things, right? And in the, I will say, you know, off right off the bat, I'll say in the last 18 months, I also ran two major marathons, which in retrospect, probably wasn't the best idea from like a health and performance standpoint. Um, but here's the thing as endurance runners, sometimes we have opportunities to do things that we do, even if they're not a hundred percent in our best interest. Right. And there's a spectrum on that. Like I'd never say you should run a race with a broken bone, but if you got into Boston, like, yeah, it's, if you're going to, if you can run it, you should probably try to do it. Right. Which is what I did. Uh, and if you've listened to my recap episodes for Boston and Chicago, which took place both of those races took place during this, hey, I'm actively trying to crawl my way out of this hole that I dug myself into with the help of a dietitian and, and being really cognizant and patient and just trying to do all the things right. Um, and it still took, it just sometimes takes a lot longer than you want it to. But the other thing I want you to all keep in mind, because I think there's all things that we can identify with here you know, I'm not special. I'm just a person who's going through life trying to do the best that she can with the knowledge that she has available is that we all come up against these challenges, whatever they are sometimes. And maybe it's an injury or maybe it's reds or maybe it's like whatever it is in your performance space, your running space, maybe your, your health and well-being space, whatever it is. It's that a lot of times it's just going to take longer then we want it to take. And like, you can either look at that as something that is, oh, woe is me, you know, coulda, woulda, shoulda. Do I wish that I'd never gotten myself into that position in the first place? Like, obviously, yes. Have I learned a lot from it, including the lessons that, you know, forced patience bestows upon you? Yeah. There is a lot of stuff that I know now, and I would hope that I am a better all-rounded person go having gone through that did it suck absolutely but if you are in a position when you where you are rebuilding or coming back or trying to get yourself out of a hole that you may have also been dug into and it's taking you longer than you want to get back to where you want to be you are not alone i, I think I think it takes longer than all of us want to realize in those situations. And it can feel like other people who are in similar situations bounce back. And I hate that bounce, mm, bounce. We're not balls. We don't bounce. Oh, just bounce back. Like this happened and they were doing this like three months later. Okay. That's amazing. But I also think that's not the norm. So again, going back to the kind of persistent 
messaging about Instagram's a highlight reel, social media is not real life, all this stuff. If you are going through a tough pot time of rebuilding or whatever the struggle is that you are currently dealing with and feeling like, oh my God, it's taking forever, I want you to know it can feel like it takes forever, but you just have to keep going. And I promise you, I promise you it will get better. It's just probably going to take longer than you want it to, but you're not alone. You're not, you're not unusual in needing that much time to return to where you came from. And then as I am hoping, and I hope this for you as well, if you are in my situation or a similar one to surpass where you used to be, right? Cause that's the dream with this and whatever that surpassing means to you, right? Wherever that, whatever that definition, whatever you've given that definition of surpassing means, maybe for some of you it's, you know, faster or, or farther, or maybe it's new PRs with a new decade of life or a different set of goals, whatever that is. But you know, the dream, and I think the ultimate, this is what keeps the fire alive in all of us who are runners is this dream of I can be better. I will get better. This is going to be the thing that I want it to be. It's the hope. We are all, I think, eternal optimists who genuinely believe in ourselves, um, but we're also, we tend to be very impatient. So my first kind of reflection and lesson is one that is, I think, been woven into a lot of my conversations over the past few years, one that I know that I've been actively living for quite some time, and one that I am happy to say, and I can say, look, yeah, I know it takes a lot longer than we probably want it to take, but that's normal. And I think we need to normalize sometimes these timelines being in the years category, but there's always hope and you just have to be patient and you just have to keep going. Well, all right, what else did I learn this year? I learned a lot about super shoes. Um, and I'm thinking back to the very the second episode of this year that I did with the fabulous guys over at Doctors of Running. It's an, almost an hour and a half of us talking about super shoes or carbon plated shoes um, and learning about the materials, but also learning about what we are now seeing in research about the role and the effect that the plate and the foams that we're using have on certain runners and and don't have on certain runners. And I think when carbon, I not that I think, I know, because I was there, when carbon plated shoes were first released to the public, were first developed and released, and think back to the uh, Nike Vapor, the Nike, whatever they called it, the Nike Next Percent or Vaporfly 4, 4%, that was it, the Nike 4%, very first carbon plated shoe um, that was released and, and mass marketed. Obviously, there was just one, right? So if it didn't fit your foot, you were kind of screwed. But it was marketed um, as as a, hey, this shoe will make you faster. It will make everybody faster. It's amazing for everybody. And of course, as we know, there is always nuance and a ton of like, yeah, but stuff to a lot of the concepts and things that we have um, that, uh, that apply to us. And that as more research is coming out about carbon plated shoes and how certain runners respond or don't respond, uh, is it the plate? Is it the foam? Does the pace matter? How much does the pace matter? matter? What, what is it that we know about this? So here's kind of where we stand. And again, you know, this is something that we are actively still learning more about, but here's generally speaking what I know. When it comes to super shoes, this carbon plated shoe, it is absolutely not going to be a good thing for everybody to try and wear one. For some people, for some runners, it's actually probably going to be actively harmful for a variety of reasons. 
Wearing a super shoe, that shoe tends to be a very high stack height. What does that mean? It's literally, think of a platform. Think about, it's like a platform sneaker, except hey, it's a performance shoe that you're running on, typically long distances, on a very um, responsive, spongy, or sometimes depends on what the foam is, marshmallowy foam. So it's a very literally unstable environment for your foot to be on. Think about you know, a BOSU ball, like those half medicine balls that you find in the gym, you can do stability exercises on them. It's like, an in, you know, think about it. If you were trying to run with mini BOSU balls strapped to your feet, it'd be very unstable. Now, if you have a lower leg complex, if you have a, enough strength, especially in your foot and your ankle and your lower leg, um, to handle that kind of stability and harness the power of the shoe, then it could be a really advantageous shoe for you. But if you don't have enough stability, that strength to harness the instability of the shoe to make the other features of that shoe work for you, you could end up with an injury. Now, as a side note, really cool little tangent, talking about bone stress injuries, learned about bone stress injuries, this year with my guest, Dr. Stephanie Munt, on a, on a recent episode from this fall. But broadly speaking, um, the farther away from your this like the the core of your body is, your bone stress injury is, the more likely it is to be caused by overuse. And the closer into like the core of your body, the more likely that bone stress injury is to be caused by underfueling, some sort of energy deficiency related issue. So what does that mean? So if we see a bunch of, and it's not to say they're mutually exclusive, right? But saying we tend to see. So what does this mean? If you end up with a stress fracture in your foot because you couldn't, you were not prepared for the demands of a carbon plate shoe. I'm, I'm trying to connect the dots on this one train of thought. Does that have anything to do with energy availability? Not necessarily. You probably just overdid it in that shoe. And the carbon plate also changes like how your foot moves a little bit, right? And we also are seeing that for runners who run slower than nine minutes per mile, which hi, hello, raise my hand, that's most of the miles I run every week are slower than nine minutes per mile. Um, it's, slow, it's slower than nine minutes per mile. We actually don't see that much, if any, of an um, advantage from a pace perspective of running in carbon plated shoes, right? So we're looking at some of these elite runners who are getting a, a 2% or a 4% or a 6% boost in pace from wearing a carbon plated shoe, but they're running at like five minutes per mile. You know, I strap those on. If I'm running at, let's say nine minutes and 30 seconds per mile, statistically, I may only be getting a boost of about 0.2%. And I, I don't have the study in front of me. So somebody can look this up and fact check me and yell at me in the DMs. That's totally fine. But what I'm saying is that with all of this, as the research comes out, we have to remember that the original research for carbon plated shoes was done on extraordinarily talented, very, very fast elite athletes who already have a, a very, I mean, high level of talent, relatively strong lower limbs like they're set up to to be able to wear these kinds of shoes but even then even then when they put different athletes in the same shoes we still see a response where actually some athletes are actually going to be slower in the carbon plate shoe compared to others so what am i trying to say here as always there is very little in our world that is this thing is always equally good for everyone all the time because while there are 
general kind of guidelines, there's also huge amounts of individualization here and carbon plated shoes, these performance shoes are absolutely one of those, hey, there's huge individualization and response here. So if you feel like you're struggling with carbon plate shoes or you feel like you know wondering if you should dip your toe in the carbon plate shoe world, I would say last year or two years ago, I probably would have said, yeah, of course, like I race in carbon plate shoes. I think they're great. Like, why not? Who cares? You know, but I'm, I feel like the older I get and the more I do this job, the more I'm like, yeah, but you know, maybe there's so much gray area. Um, if you want to try them, try them, but be really cautious, be really cautious in implementing something or using something or over relying on something like a carbon plated shoe in general, because it's a honestly like it's a high risk, high reward product, but it, it kind of is. And if you want to learn more about carbon plated shoes, you can go back and listen to episode season two from this season, sorry, episode two from this season, season three of the podcast. And I'm hoping to have an updated episode next year in season four. Like I said, as more research comes out, I just thought that was really interesting. The more that we're learning about carbon plated shoes and the way that the biomechanics work for different people and the way that the, you know, running economy is affected in different people and the, you know, all these things. And the other thing too, that comes with all of this is that this technology is still something that's being actively innovated and used and improved upon and tweaked. But like, you know, like I said, five years, four years ago, Five years ago, there was one shoe, and now there's dozens of carbon-plated shoes. Some brands have multiple different kinds of carbon-plated shoes available. So, you know, there's just a lot, um, when we have a lot more variables and a lot more options, right, it becomes um, so hard, sometimes harder to figure out as we continue to innovate, okay, but like, what are we actually, what's actually happening here? So. I mean, I, I'm all for innovation. I love it. I think it's very cool. Um, but yeah, just something, an area where I'm like, yeah, let's, let's learn more. Let's find out more. Let's get more research. Let's see how it works. Um, and actually I have to say recently I have been really digging my nylon plated shoes more than my carbon plated shoes. Um, the, the stuff that I raced this year, uh, this calendar year specifically for the first time, I really kind of put my carbon plated shoes back on the shelf and was racing more in a nylon plated shoe, um, which is, uh, has a lot of similar properties to a carbon plated shoe with the foam, but obviously with the nylon plate, it's a little bit, uh, it's, it's, well, it's, it's nylon instead of carbon fiber. Um, so it's less rigid, uh, but it still is a little bit rigid. I don't know. I think it's really cool. This, I raced in, um, the Saucony, uh, endorphin speed threes, which is their nylon plated shoe that, uh, Saucony does. And then uh, I've also raced in the, and I'm really digging these too, the A6 Magic Sky, which is a carbon, oh, sorry, a nylon plated shoe. Those are super fun. Um, I only started picking up some A6 this year and uh, I'm really enjoying them. Total tangent, but yeah, the, 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 the shoe thing, the shoe technology, the carbon plated shoes. Yeah, that was a, a lot of fun to learn about this year and something I'm really looking forward to learning about more next year. One of the other things I was really I would say learning more about, but really digging into more, especially with so many of the conversations I had this year with the uh, doctors of physical therapy who've been guests on this show is really what I think I'm trying to do is, is abolish the binary of rehab, right? Like, oh, I'm injured and I'm in rehab and all the way up to, oh, I strength train. Um, because, and I talking with one of my guests, uh, frequent guest, Dr. Marie Witt, we did an episode on, on prehab versus rehab, right? So when is it rehab? When is it prehab? 
you know, and, and good rehab is also prehab and good prehab can also rehab. Like it's all the thing is, is that, you know, we're all humans in these slightly asymmetrical kind of, you know, cell sacks that need a lot of attention, especially as runners. So it's a very high impact sport. Um, we, runners tend to be injured, uh, probably more frequently than we should be. No, I know more frequently than they should, we should be, but, um, working with runners this past year, especially, and obviously I'm not a physical therapist, but working with runners who are going through physical therapy for an injury really helped me as a coach, um, but also helped me kind of broaden my perspective on this. What is rehab? What is prehab? Where does the, where is the line? Is that there, again, it's a spectrum. There is no line that, you know, there's always going to be stuff that is going to be prehabilitative, rehabilitative, like, you know, I'll never forget when I had a runner working with me who uh, got injured and went to PT and they said, well, she's having me do deadlifts for my rehab. But I thought, I thought, um, I thought that was strength training. And I was like, well, I mean, rehab is strength training or it can be, or it typically does include strength training. Like they're not different from each other in many situations. So really kind of getting out of your head that like, oh, I only do this when I'm injured. I'm like, oh, I only need to worry about this if I'm injured or, you know, thinking about more of, you know, how, how can I create a, a strong and stable framework for my body? right? What are the things that I need to do? You know, whether I'm actively dealing with a little thing, you know, a little soft tissue injury or not, whether I'm 100% healthy, whatever it is, you know, it's not about, am I injured or am I healthy? And obviously sometimes it is like, I'm literally, I'm right now I'm injured, right? And right now I'm not injured, but the, the exercises and the modalities and the routines that we employ whether we're injured or we're healthy, you know, it's just kind of about the spectrum where, on the spectrum are we in terms of the specific exercises and and reps and sets and things that we employ because there is a lot of strength training that is rehabilitative when we are deploying it in a way that's going to actively target the injured area support the injured area or support the rehab from the injury but you might still do those exact same strength training exercises even if you are no longer injured because they're just, it's the same way to support your body. So thinking about this in a way, you know, I, again, it comes back to, I think this idea of the holistic environment that we create from ourselves as people who move, as active people who move, as athletes who want to be fast and strong and mobile, right? That all of these, you know, things like foam rolling and, and resistance band work and, and you know, strength training and lifting and squats and, you know, all this stuff, like these exercises all have a place for all of us. Um, it's not like, oh, I'm injured. Now I have to do this. It's like, well, you know, there's always things that we can be doing to support our strong and stable body. And there's also going to be a lot of stuff that looks rehabilitative, um, looks like rehab, but it's actually just good for, you know, X, Y, Z mobility. There's also stuff that you might do that looks like quote unquote, you know, prehab that, could be rehab. So what I'm saying is that, you know, I think we need to stop putting these, these things in boxes, right? Oh, I'm injured. I have to go do my PT. Well, it's like, I mean, PT is just another word. Physical therapy is just another word for another way to say like, oh, I need to go do some exercises that are going to help me move better. Right. And whether you're injured or not injured, we should all be doing some exercises that help us move better as runners. 
right? Because running, in order to become really good runners, we have to do more than just run. And I'm not saying you need to spend eight hours a, gy- a, a week in the gym in order to make this happen, but there is some basic level of, we should probably be doing some core work and some lower body. And if you know that you have mobility limitations in your ankles or your hips or wherever your area is, you should probably be doing something to address those as well. So all this to say, you know, really, I really learned this year to think, to stop thinking about rehab, prehab, injured, uninjured as a binary and more of the spectrum and and really think about, you know, there are going to be things that we need to kind of just do all the time as runners, no matter what, and stop saying, oh, but this is strength training and that's my PT. Now you might for your own sanity want to separate those things out, but you're also going to have a lot of crossover between the two at some point. Your strength training might be your PT and your PT might be strength training just some food for thought and something that I've been thinking about this year. One of the big things I've also been thinking about and reflecting on this year is this concept of um, putting the cart before the horse when it comes to trying to optimize when you don't even have the foundation set up. Now, this is probably a familiar topic for many of you and the expression to put the cart before the horse, which essentially means to get things backwards, right? Because the a horse drawn cart, right? The horse leads the cart. Um, and this is, I think, what big failure of social media in general. I understand why it is, but that we are being sold, sometimes literally sold, um, optimizations, hacks, the, oh, you know, and I, I, I really, I really hate to call out anybody specifically and say, you know, this, this person with this platform is, is trying to, you know, anyways, I'll, you know, I'll use an example. Um, I can't remember if it was earlier this year, or sometime last year, somebody came out and said, you know, you need to wait. Oh, it was a big podcaster. Um, for something, 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 caffeine, circadian rhythms, you should wait in 90 minutes to two hours after waking up to drink your coffee. It's like, okay, yeah, but like that doesn't fit into my life. And also like in terms of optimization for what, you know, when we have people who aren't even eating enough in general, who are over relying on caffeine in general, who aren't getting enough sleep in general is is ultra specific caffeine timing going to be the thing that they need? No, you just need to get more sleep. You just need to eat food at a more regular time throughout the day. You need to stop, you know, getting blood sugar swings. You need to exercise more frequently. Like, you know, and I see this with a lot of runners too for performance. They say, well, I, you know, I really need to know what are the best workouts I could be doing to help me reach my goal? And let's say that goal is qualifying for Boston. What are the best workouts I need to do to qualify for Boston? I go, first of all, you need to get your training house in order. You need to stop taking two months off after every race that you do. You need to stop burning out all the time. You need to stop living in a persistent state of low energy availability, right? You need to get more than five hours of sleep per night because until you get the basics, the fundamentals, the foundations laid and relayed and relayed and relayed over and over and over again, it doesn't matter what workouts I give you, right? Because there's nothing that's magic. And, and I think that as I reflect on seeing what elite runners are doing, and again, you know, we shouldn't be copying what they're doing, but we can take a page out of their book in the things that they, what did they focus on? The foundations laying and relaying and relaying that foundation over and over and over again 
you know, and I love Des Linden for this reason that she's so open about basically every time she runs a, a big marathon, taking time off and then kind of how sucky it feels to come back in that immediate period. But what does she do? She just gets back to work and she relays the foundation year after year after year. Easy days, easy, as many miles as make sense for you. Don't forget your strength training, get enough sleep, make sure you're eating enough food for your goals, right? And then we can worry about the fancy workouts. And I'm not saying the fancy workouts don't exist because fancy workouts do exist, but they're not magic, but they're gonna be a heck of a lot more effective when they are layered on top of a super strong foundation instead of precariously balanced on top of a house of cards, which may collapse at any moment. So when it comes to the optimization of XYZ, I think we really, and I get why it's so attractive, right? Because it's it, like, it's cool to learn about these things that we're discovering through research and science. I'm like, wow, I didn't know that. And maybe there are some things which are today being labeled weird optimization hacks, which in five years will just be like, oh no, no, but that's just how everybody does it now because actually it's a foundation for good health, right? But I'm also saying is that don't let the bright shiny thing distract you from the 98% of the other stuff that also needs to be done before the optimization hack is actually gonna make a big difference, right? So, and this could apply to so many areas in our performance. Um, and I, 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 it's too, I don't have enough time to list them all, but that I really want you, and this is something that I, I can continue to talk about into 2024 is nothing replaces the foundations. Kipchoge, every single time he starts from a, a new marathon train, it's the, it's the foundations. Build and rebuild and rebuild and relay your foundation, right? Nothing replaces the fundamentals. The greatest athletes of all time continue to work on their foundations and fundamentals throughout their career, right? Did Tiger Woods stop going to, you know, the putting green? after a certain point, like, no, he probably spent more time working on those skills, that practice, that foundation. I'm, I'll use golf as an example because I know a lot about golfers because my husband is a golfer. You know, think about this new generation of golfers that we have here who are not just really great skilled athletes, but who are spending a lot of time in the gym to become literally good athletes who are strong and explosive and mobile. Do they get to a certain point in their career and say, I don't need to worry about that anymore? No. They keep going. They keep doing the foundations, the fundamentals. And endurance athletes, we are no different. There is no point in your career as an, and I say career tongue in cheek because hey, we're like 99.9% .9 of us are hobbyists, right? This is my hobby too. At no point in your running life as an endurance runner will you ever need to stop doing conversational running unless you just stop caring, right? But that's how important the foundations are. The fundamentals never stop mattering. And the the if you then decide to layer on optimization hacks and really go after those little 1%, half a percent, 0.1% extras, they're gonna make a much, much bigger difference if they are laid on top of a crazy strong foundation, like I said, instead of that precarious house of cards. And the last thing that I really wanted to reflect on this year is this, not concept, but talking about inclusivity in our space as runners. Inclusivity in pace, inclusivity in size, inclusivity in race, inclusivity in gender and sexual identity. You know, 
every everybody I think who is part of the running community has seen I would hope this starting to be a changing of how we are approaching the sport in terms of what it means to be inclusive and it kind of depends on you know what you probably personally find to be the biggest issue for you right because that's how a lot of us enter a space of like hey but how could I make this something that more people uh, like me or like my friends or like my family can enjoy and one of the things that I think is really important is pace inclusivity and something that I will continue to talk about and continue to offer access to uh, and hope to continue to expand the spectrum on is this idea of pace inclusivity at all spectrums of the paces. And you know whether you are somebody who's trying to run a 15 minute 5K or you are hoping to finish your first 5K or your 50th 5K in under an hour, you know if that's if that's your goal, that's your goal, and I will support you. And you belong there, and we we belong to the same community. You know, if you run, you are a runner. The definition of running is moving forward and you have one foot off the ground. That's, that's like I said, the technical de- definition of what is, what is it running versus walking is that in, um, in race walking, the official sport of race walking, you have to have one foot on the ground at all times. And in running, you can fly. You can have both feet off the ground. Um, and that's the difference. So, you know, we can fly at all paces, but that's something I think is really important. And also just from a, a purely like, where is our sport going in the future? It's always made sense to me as a person that if we can give more people who want to participate access to our sport in a way that is going to make them feel included, it's only good for all of us. You know, when I show up to the start line at any race, especially, you know, uh, shorter races like 5Ks, which tend to be, by and large, um, events that are tied to charities, it's families, it's friends, people out together, it's people, you know, with strollers uh, setting new, you know, 5K records or out, you know, with a stroller, whatever it is. But it tends to be a very inclusive experience. And so it, it was strange to me as I spent more time in the running space to feel, not to feel, to know that there were many runners in our community who are participating in races, especially longer distance races, right? Half marathons, marathons, who are essentially said, well, you're not fast enough to run this, or you can't, you don't belong here. You know, a marathon's a marathon, no matter how long it takes you. If it takes you two hours or 10 hours, it's a marathon. And this is something that I will never understand why, you know, just because one person is fast doesn't make them a better person than the other person. And I will argue actually that if you, if you are a fast person who looks down on runners who are slower than you, you're actually a worse person there. I said it. I really do think it's not to say that you can't be proud of what you've done and are capable of. You can also think that the person who is running half as fast as you are is also proud and capable of what they're doing and is literally doing the best we can. You know, the thing that I think really cracks me up is that, you know, I'm, I'm very proud of what I've accomplished so far as a runner. Um, I'm faster than some and slower than some, but if I were to show up to the start line of a race that contained world-class elite runners, like there's no question, right, that I absolutely 
um, am not in the same caliber as they are. But that's okay. We are still runners. I'm not trying to be them. Um, I can be proud of who I am what I have accomplished and still look up to somebody who is faster than I am and say, hot damn, look at them go. And also understand that I would want them to look at me, right? Let's put some empathy into this. I would want them to look at me and say, okay, like she's not as fast as I am, but look, she's, she's trying her hardest. She's proud of what she's done. We're both runners. We both have a fundamental understanding of what it means to be runners. And there is a shared commonality here and a shared humanity, right? Now, obviously, if I literally tried to get in somebody's way, I'm sure I'd get kicked, but that's, that's a totally different thing. And that's the thing here is that we're all humans. This is a sport that we love, and it should be something that unites all of us, really no matter what pace you're going. And I don't know, I think one of the reasons that I, 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 I wanted to talk about this and why I feel like this is hitting me so hard recently is, you know, having a lot of conversations with athletes at the end of the year, talking about next year, you know, onboarding new coaching athletes or doing a lot of coaching consults, you know, and a lot of athletes preface their conversations with me by saying, I know I'm not fast. I know I'm a slower runner. You know, I, I wasn't even sure if I should book this consult because I'm slow, you know, and like, I don't care. I don't care how fast or slow you run. I don't care what pace you run at all. What I do care about is that you feel like it's a thing that you are, whether it's coming from inside or outside or some combination thereof that it, 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 I don't want to, it's not going to make me, it doesn't make me mad. It makes me so sad, but also kind of mad that we have essentially, we, I don't know who we is, that there are hundreds of thousands of runners out there who essentially feel less than because their paces don't start with a whatever number that, that you know, that we think is the worthy number. Like, like you are worthy. You, you're a runner. Whether you're running a five minute pace or a 10 minute pace or a 15 minute pace or a 25 minute pace, like you are a runner. And I really want us to stop doing the whole, well, I'm not very fast. I know I'm not very fast or I'm a slower runner. And like that's in, in the tone, right? In the, in that kind of, you know, the tone I'm talking about, right? Cause there are some people and I've talked to runners like, yep, yeah, I'm slow. And like, this is my thing. And I, this is, I'm like, this is awesome. You are awesome. We are awesome. Let's freaking do this. Right. But it's the, it's that, it's, it's the hesitation. It's the insecurity. It's the, it's the sadness in your voice. And I hear it and I just want to reach to the screen or reach to the phone and give you a hug and say, stop it. You are awesome. You are not slow. You are exactly where you're supposed to be. And you need to be proud of what you're doing. And we're going to go after that. Whatever your goal is, we're going to go after that. There's nothing wrong with being exactly where you are right now. And it's also okay if you want to eventually be somewhere different. Both are totally fine. And there is room for everybody in our tent. There is room for everybody in our community. Whatever your pace is, whatever your goal is, whether you want to race, or you never want to race, you want to run really fast, or you care absolutely nothing at all about running fast. It doesn't matter. If you run, you are a runner. There is a universal experience of what it means to be an endurance runner. That's it. The only membership into our club is that you run, that you run. That's it. There is no pace requirement. There is no distance requirement. 
you run a mile every week or a hundred miles every other day, there is a universalness to what it is to be a runner. That pride in the discomfort, that meditative quality to being lost in your head, that inexplicable yearning to, to go for a run, even when you're exhausted, to be outside or to be on the treadmill, to move your body, to there is something that calls to us, that speaks to us, that is really hard to describe, as I am just now finding out as I'm trying to describe it, but everybody who is a runner knows exactly what I'm talking about. That's it. That's it. If you identify with that, then you are a runner and you belong here, whatever your pace is. And so, yes, I am absolutely done with pace gatekeeping and shaming in 2024. And I'm going to try to fight even harder and also to help all of you who are in the I know I'm not very fast camp to own where you are, be proud of it, right? Because a lot of it's also, there've also, there've also been runners who have come to me and said, I know I'm not very fast. And I look at their stats and I'm like, compared to who? Because compared to most people, you're very fast. <laughs> so there's also that. There is also that. Wow, what a year. It's a short episode because it's that weird week between Christmas and New Year's where there's a lot going on. I wanted to say, if you're still listening, thank you. Like I... For somebody who talks a lot, I sometimes have a really hard time expressing what it is um, to the honor it is to be able to do this for my job, to talk about running all day with other people who love running, to have your ear, for you to spend your time with me on a, on a semi-regular basis, um, to answer your questions, to help us all learn. It is a real joy and a real privilege to be part of your life. So from the deepest, darkest bottom of my heart, I wanted to say thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being here, for listening, for caring, for running, for caring enough enough about running that you would like go find a running podcast and listen to it. So thank you. I am so excited for what next year is going to bring for Running Explained, for the podcast, for me, for you. I just feel like it's going to be a good one. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Don't forget, you can always find and follow me on Instagram at Running Explained. And if you're looking for a coach or a training plan, check me out. Visit my website, runningexplained.co. That's runningexplained.co. See you next time. This content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you have regarding a medical condition.